Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Today, we are talking to Dorian Kramer about her experience of biking home from Singapore, and home is the Netherlands. And that sounds like a huge and crazy adventure, and it is. But she had some equally amazing adventures that kind of led to this experience. And what I love about Dorian's story is that she's a lot like me in the sense that she's a type B personality. Uh, Not sure if that kind of type A, type B personality thing is, is worldwide. So if you're listening in other parts of the world, you know, type A people have all their planning together. They plan things like years in advance. Everything's dialed in. However, when something goes off, you know, plan or goes off course, the type A people can really struggle. I am married to a type A person. I am 100% type B in the fact that I love things to be free-flowing and creative and and they're not to be a set plan and to see where things lead. And what I love is Dorian's story is a lot like that. And a lot of times we hear from adventurers that have everything dialed in or they know there's things that are going to happen that they can't control, but they know where they need to be each day. They stick to that plan. And I love that Dorian's had just so much creative openness to it and so much ability to add things in. And you're going to hear some of the cool and crazy ideas that came out of it and some of the wild opportunities that just kind of showed themselves along the way. So this was an awesome story. I'm very excited to be able to bring it to you. We recorded this a while ago. And by the way, be listening because we are going to be dropping in our feed and our podcast feed very soon, the winners of the adventure grant. So if you've applied to that and you're waiting to hear back, be listening this week, ideally, we're going to be sharing. So if you see an episode pop up that's like a minute or two talking about the Adventure Grant, it is going to announce the winners. So be listening and uh, yeah, keep your ears peeled. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. You heard a little of Doreen's story in the intro, but now we're going to hear from Doreen about this crazy adventure that we're going to talk about. Doreen Kramer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Where are you coming from? Where's home for you? That's the first question I always ask. And sometimes, especially for the folks out on an adventure, those are not the same places. So again, where where is home for you and, and where are you coming from right now? Um, at my home now, currently in Groningen in the Netherlands. So in Europe, pretty far from your place, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Well, other side of the world, so. I'm in the east coast of the United States, so about as close as I can be here in the U.S., but yeah, that's that's really Still cool. Still pretty far. Still very far, yes, very far. Yeah. You can't bike here, but you could bike that distance easily. You clearly did already, so that's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not too far to go, not too far to go. So, so, you know, I know you're into bike packing and bike touring. How did you get into that? But also, did you grow up doing this stuff? I know in the Netherlands, cycling is a huge, huge, huge part of the culture. There's like two bikes for every person or something crazy, maybe more. Was that just part of life? And when did it start getting, oh, I can go even farther with this stuff? Yeah, that's a cool question. Bikes are like normal for every everyone here in the Netherlands. Uh, we use it as a daily way for transport to go to work, school, whatever. So I don't I don't even know. But when I was a small child, I, I learned to ride my bike. But it was only when I was about 25 years old, I guess, 
I I had this injury in my foot, so I uh, I couldn't go hiking, which was the kind of holiday I, I preferred the most. Then a, a colleague of mine, she said, why don't you go ride a bike, you know, during the holiday? And, I, and to be honest, I thought that was just a stupid idea because, you know, riding your bike with your panniers and everything, I really thought that was only for old people like retired people and and I just I just didn't have the the image or I didn't know anyone who was like about my age or in their 20s riding the bike for for like long distance and of course you can like ride a road bike you know for for sports a few hours a day but this idea this image yeah I I I just didn't understand it but I felt okay you know I have this injury on my foot I can't really walk so I'll just I'll just give it to try and then I uh, I flew to Ireland for I think a trip or six or seven uh, six or seven days and I rented a bike it was my first trip to cycle the west coast of Ireland and it was the best the best experience I ever had because of this physical activity and I was out there I was in the rain, in the sun. Of course, it was Ireland, you know, so it's not the best weather <laughs> right. you, you get over there. And I was camping and I was just outside the entire day, but I could cover so many kilometers, like such a distance that uh, when when you hike, you can never cover such a distance. So when I was in a boring area, you just cycle for an hour and you already are in a more, like, ex- more adventurous or... I don't know more in the nature, and that was my first cycling experience. And then I thought, oh wow, I have to, I have to thank this colleague, you know, for <laughs> telling me that I should go on a bike ride because this was, this was so cool. From that moment on, I, I bought a, a touring bike my, uh, myself, a second hand, and I just went on on short trips, and uh, yeah, it opened my eyes. I love that you uh, you said you bought a second hand bike. Did you find that just to be more approachable, like as far as a budget? Because a lot of people on this show hear these stories about these amazing adventures and they're like, well, I could never afford it. What, what did you do early on for gear to make it possible? Yeah, the secondhand bike was also because this was my first trip uh, in Ireland and I, I really thought this is my new hobby, but I wasn't sure yet. So yeah, I didn't want to spend several thousands of euros, you know, just... Uh, for a new hobby and also because I didn't really know what kind of bike I would like because you have more gravel bikes, more more race bikes and everything. So I thought I'll just give it a try secondhand. And because I, I already did hiking and I worked in an outdoor shop, so I had many gear like camping or sleeping bag and everything. I, I already owned it. So if for me, only the thing I had to buy was a, was a new bike. Yeah. The coast of Ireland, that's... I mean that's an amazing adventure. Pretty quickly, your 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 ambitions and your vision started growing. What did you want to do next? What was next, and how did you settle? Like, there's so much to choose from. How did you find that next trip that you wanted to do? That's a good question because between Ireland and cycling from Singapore back to the Netherlands, there's like there 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 were was several years of of experience and i think the summer after my ireland experience i went on a holiday with my father and brothers in uh, austria so um i thought you know they go there by car and maybe i can cycle 
just a, a part of the distance to get in Austria. So I uh, I took my bike on the train and I cycled for about five days to get to the hotel where I would meet my father and my brothers. And it was very cool because, uh, I mean, I know how to cycle. I know how to pitch my tent and everything. But I got lost so many times because I just didn't have the right uh, navigation equipment. I thought maybe I should navigate on my phone or on maps because... Uh, I'm, I was pretty late and I'm still in with like social media or a smartphone and everything. And I just, I just, I like it in one way, but in the other way, I just too lazy to sort out which navigation app I should use and everything. So I just thought, you know, I'll just find my way using, using a paper map and some signs on the road, but I got lost so many times. So there was a very good like learning experience to, to know that I, I really needed to buy like a Garmin, for example, to know how to navigate on the road. And also another experience that I learned was in the Netherlands, like the Netherlands is flat as a pancake. And then you go to the south of Germany and to Austria. And I was just so tired. I couldn't cover all the kilometers anymore because of all the hills and all the mountains I had to cover. And I had to eat like like the meals for three people in one day. I, I was so tired. And it really humbled me in, in one way that I, I thought, okay, I, you know, I can have many ambitions, but I have to train my body a bit. And, and had, I had to accept that I couldn't go as far as I wanted just on my second bike trip. Yeah. Yeah. And so for many trips, I just learned and I just learned and I, I met other people. And of course, on, on the internet, there, there are many blogs or Instagram and whatever. And so you get... There's so much inspiration. There's so many things you can learn and you can meet other people online who cycle and and like they have tips and ideas or, or things not to do. And I'm always just interested in people in other countries and how do they live. I studied geography just because I'm interested, you know, how do people live like like in the States, for example? What does it look like? So there are there are still many countries on my list that I wanna wanna see. And with a bike, you cycle in the mountains or in the flatland. Doesn't matter where you are, but you really experience the landscape. You feel when it's when you're going down, when you're going up, when it's hot, when it's raining, and and that's a combination for me. That's just just magical. I, I'm definitely biased towards traveling by bicycle. That's what I've done the most. A lot of hiking, hiking and backpacking is also just absolutely amazing. For that wilderness experience, but especially long distance, it's so nice to be a part of the culture, like to see the towns, to meet the people, to see the roadways and to be able to carry whatever you want, you know, instead of trying to, you know, I don't know about you, but people get very obsessive about their weight when they're uh, backpacking because you're carrying it on your back. You can't enjoy the downhills, Mm -hmm. but on a bike, of course, you can I mean, you can carry a lot more very easily. You can carry an entire jar of peanut butter if you want instead of, you know, a, a, a little tiny pack of it or something. But so I want to know, what did your family, what did your siblings and your dad think when you made it to Austria? Did they think you were crazy? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, they, they thought it was crazy. But on the other hand, they really expected me to do something like that because I'm, I'm a bit more adventurous than they are. Although my father, he also traveled when he was a... Uh, he was younger when he was my age. The funny thing, though, at that time, I I didn't want to bring a full stove and many, how do you say, cutlery and pans and everything. Just some 
just a small, easy thing. So um, the only thing I ate were these um, packages of dried food that you only have to add like uh, hot water and then just wait a few minutes and then you can eat it. So when I told them that that was my kind of meal that I had for these five days, like they already thought that I was crazy, but this was, you know, <laughs> yeah. When they when they heard that I only ate the dried meals, yeah. Wow. On other trips, of course, because I also learned that there are many other ways to cook your food and to buy food and everything. I learned that, especially when you're away for a longer time, it's also nice for your body to have this variety of of meals. So I could cook my own rice and, and my, make my vegetables and everything. So yeah, I, I developed my, uh, my kid a bit. Such a beautiful way to live. Like I've got a huge smile on my face because it's such a... It's a wonderful way to be is on the bike. You have everything you need. You don't need anything else than that. In fact, it it helps you be more free the less you have in a lot of ways. So, you know, after this trip to Austria, you know, going from basically below sea level to in a lot of parts of the Netherlands to the Alps kicked your butt in a lot of ways with uh, the elevation and getting there and navigation you know, what, what made you want to keep doing this and, and what was next? I know that this kept kind of building and building and building till your huge 20,000 kilometer trip. What was the next step in that journey? I think the next thing was that I wanted to experience whether I liked riding my bike for several weeks because those two trips, there were just five or six days or seven days. And for seven days, you know, even when you don't have a, a comfortable tent or a chair, everything is fine, you know, for seven days. But if you want to go on a trip for four weeks or whatever, you, you have to, to experience, if you still like it, to live this basic. As you, as you told me, on a bike, you can bring more stuff compared to on your back, you know, in a backpack. But still, it's not your home. And still, you don't have so many things with you as you have at home. So I think I cycled in the Czech Republic with my girlfriend of the time. And I chose the Czech Republic because they speak a language over there that I don't speak. You know, because I speak German and you can speak German in Austria and in, in Germany, of course. But in, in the Czech Republic, uh, I would also experience how you communicate with people if you don't speak the same language, for example. And the food is a bit different and you don't understand the menu in the restaurant. So I chose these little things to just experience for several weeks something new so the cycling wasn't that new anymore i knew that i i was able and i and i liked it but how do i like it in another country and a year later we flew to china for one month also to cycle there i think about three weeks and that really humbled me because i didn't understand the language the maps that we brought weren't updated because in china they were building like every day and there were roads were gone on the map or there were new roads built. So we, we got lost so many times and the heat was totally different to what I've ever experienced. But still, I liked it. And although my girlfriend, she didn't like it sometimes, she, she thought it was, sometimes the days were just too tough for her and she just wants to quit. And I always thought, oh, wow, this is such a new experience. And okay, you know, it's tough. Okay, I'm tired. Or okay, I'm I'm like too, it's too hot for me or whatever. But I thought, oh, wow, this is a new experience. So then I knew that, yeah, I just wanted to go on with this. 
but I wasn't sure yet. And I didn't really have the feeling that I was able to go on a long trip all by myself. So about a year after we cycled in China, I met someone online and he was cycling solo from England to the south of Africa. And I asked him if I could join him for several for, for a few weeks in Africa. That was fine. And, and, and we chatted a bit online and I thought, okay, this could be cool. And so... I flew to Lusaka in Zambia and I cycled with him for three weeks to Windhoek in Namibia. And I, I've never been before in uh, in Africa. So the culture was totally new. I was on the road with someone I didn't know uh, I didn't know before. It was really hot and there were so many new experiences. But also when I look back at the pictures, I was just yeah, there was just a happy me for three weeks. It was only cool experiences. And and after this um, this holiday with him, I thought, okay, now I'm, I really feel that I, I could do this all by myself. It, it felt like I was kind of like ready to to go on and, and explore the world solo and for a long, uh, long period of time. I, I've got to ask, meeting someone online to cycle across Africa, or at least for three weeks, which you covered a lot of distance. I mean, did that feel like, I mean, on paper, written down, that sounds crazy. But to you, I mean, your parents must have thought, what, are, what is she doing? This is crazy. A dangerous place. Someone you don't know. What, what made you feel that this was the right thing to do? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I kind of expected this question because many people think it's crazy and, and maybe even like, why why, why do you even take the risk? Because the risks, you know, it, it could be very dangerous. But for me, it was a chance. For me, I, I saw the chance of cycling in Africa and something, do something I really want to do. Um, but I had nobody else to do it with. I, I, I didn't know anyone who wants to go there with me and give it a try. And for me, it was a chance. And of course, I know there, there, there are many risks. I have to say that also in the Netherlands, I've had some very bad experiences, not just cycling, but I mean, when I just, when I, I was on the train once, someone attacked me out of the blue. I mean, I've, I've had many experiences that I also, that made me, made me think I only live now. If I don't going to give it a try now, Will I ever give it a try? Will I ever explore or see the world or or whatever thing is on my mind? And of course, there I know there's a risk, but there's also a risk in staying home and never gonna do it because mm. if there's no nobody in my network that I trust and, and I could go cycling in Africa or do whatever, then I just sit here at home and and wait. And, wait <laughs> and that's for, something yeah. that yeah, yeah w- wait for a chance and and of course. Uh, some people uh, told me that I was crazy, and and they they some people even told me that yeah the chance of getting raped is hundred percent. I thought, please don't don't think in such a way because you only take away your own chances in life. And if you're listening to the podcast right now, I can imagine that you think I'm really crazy. But for example, my mom passed away when she was forty eight years old. You don't know how long you you live your life, and that's really something that I 
I have in me right now that I just want to take the chance whenever I see it. So that's also why I chose to cycle with Andy in the in Zambia. We learn so much on this show, but one thing we learn over and over again is that the world is better than people think it is. And getting out there on a bike or on your own feet or just any way you can, get out in there and see it and meeting people, you realize the world is overwhelmingly a good place and people are good. What did you, what did you learn in Africa? Do you recommend this style of adventure, joining somebody that has already planned it, giving folks the opportunity? Because honestly, I, I haven't given that much thought. I know we've heard stories about it like this, but it could be a really great way for someone who's busy or someone who doesn't know the planning or someone who's already planning it, but maybe does one company. Do you recommend that style of travel, joining someone you've never met? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, there's there's always this risk that you that you meet each other on the airport and you think like, oh, shit, <laughs> we don't have the match that is that you need, you know, that, that it, it can always like, there's always a chance that it's not working out, but it's worth the risk, huh? Yeah, true. And you have to be aware that uh, after this trip, I felt that I, I wasn't longer able to cycle together with him because I felt strong enough to do it myself. And before and during, I really thought I just follow him and I go with his ideas because he also gives me the opportunity to be here and to learn from him. But after I, I thought, okay, now I, I feel strong enough to do it myself. So also to do uh, what I really want to do. And not I, and sometimes you don't want to compromise. And sometimes you don't want to follow anymore, but you want to do what you want to do. So yeah. I think it's a really good way, especially if you don't have much time. Or for example, during my longer trip from, from Singapore back home, my father joined me uh, twice and a friend of mine, she joined me. Um, and I felt like I was the tour guide and they were on their trip, you know? <laughs> you gave them the opportunity. Yeah, and I gave them the opportunity. And for me, it also felt so cool because I had some nice company. They could discover together with me in a way that otherwise they would never do by themselves. You know, sometimes you just got to take the risk. I married my wife and I didn't know her at all. Like we, we, we barely knew each other. And I just said, let's get married. And there's a lot that could have gone wrong. And for most people, that might not work out. But for us, so far, eight years in, we're 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 doing it. We're doing all right. Sometimes life presents an opportunity; you just take it, not knowing. And it might True. seem very unwise, but you know, if it falls apart, you learn a lot from it. And this is wow! What what a cool that. I mean, that's a really big step. I think in your story is is going to Africa and doing that. So, what were some of the life events or some of the things that led to the next trip? Because something you're mentioning in this story or in these stories is a decent amount of time in between each trip, like a year or two, or there's time. It's not one after another. It's There's space built in for working, for saving up money, for planning, uh, for being at home. So what was the amount of space after Africa to your, your big 20,000-kilometer trip? And, and, and what were some of the things that got you ready for that? Just to make uh, things clear at the beginning that I never really had the idea of going on such a long trip. Like it, it wasn't on my mind for years and it wasn't a dream for years, but it was something that that in hindsight, it's easy to to look back on, on all the experience you had that build up to this moment that you feel ready. But after my Africa trip, 
it was November 2017 when I was back. Africa, sunny, you know, warm temperatures, riding in shorts every day. I came back to the Netherlands. It was raining. December was setting in, you know, the cold months. And I, I came back at work and I didn't feel... It didn't feel right anymore for me. Just the uh, just the the job I had and everything, and I was really yeah, I wasn't in my place anymore. And two months later, my girlfriend broke up with me uh, after seven years. So <laughs> that was like very hard for me because I really thought that we had a future together. So the first day, I was just I felt totally sick. I was just crying the entire day. And the second day, when I woke up, I thought, but now I have. Nobody that I, how do you say, that I'm not responsible for and I don't have to think about our future, but I can think about my future and I can think about my plan. So I thought, you know, now I have time and uh, money and whatever for my trip and I can just go wherever, whenever I want to go. I didn't want to go straight after she broke up because I, I felt that I had to, you know, ease my emotions and you know, feel good again and everything. So I I stayed where I worked for several more months and then I handed in my, uh, well, two months notice to quit the job. I decided to go on a trip in October. So about like nine months after my relationship ended. And it gave me a kind of direction also. And it gave me so much energy because I thought I wasn't a job on paper. It was a perfect job. It was really good. I earned good money, but I just didn't like it. And when you don't like it and when you don't have a relationship anymore and I didn't have a, I, I didn't bought a house, I rented a house. So I could just quit everything and just go wherever I wanted to go. And so in October, I, I left and I, I moved some stuff to my father's house and I just left for how long I, I wanted to go because I, I quit everything and I could just do whatever I want to do. And it was uh, in 28, yeah, 2018, so there was no corona yet, <laughs> which made it easier to travel. <laughs> so do you think that in life, because we all experience COVID at the same time as a world, pretty much, so there was that clear break in the norm and what's normal, but all of us are going to experience life at different times as far as breakups or deaths or uh, being fired from our job, whatever that, whatever it is, the, the, the pivotal moment. Do you think we need those in life to build room in, force us to build room in for adventure or give us the chance? Because there is a, there's a huge increase in adventures and books about adventures, that is, and just people with interesting stories after crises, especially worldwide things. So, so many people we talked to on this show did their adventure after the 2008 financial crisis here in the U.S. I know there was some worldwide reach to that, but here in the U.S. it was big and a lot of people lost their job and decided to, you know, hike the Appalachian Trail or bike around the world. COVID, same thing. So many people had life interrupted, which gave them you know, basically the freedom to do something new or the confidence or gave them the chance, really. Do you think we need that in life from, from either a worldwide or a personal level to make these trips happen? Because it sounds like if 
you hadn't have broken up with your girlfriend, you 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 may not have done this. What what do you think? Yeah, true. Because then you're like when your life is going well and you have like everything sorted out and everything is good. There's not really this thing, this idea in your mind that says, "Hey, wake up! Maybe life could be over in a few years." Or, um, you know, you feel responsible for the people you're with or uh, in your relationship, or you feel responsible for the job you have or whatever. And you you can see so many um, barriers and so many things holding you back of a dream that you have, maybe like deep in you that you're just not aware of every day. But then when something happens, when when someone dies or when when your relationship is over, you suddenly, I, <laughs> let, let's speak for myself, I really felt like, oh, but what is my true dream? What is something that I really want in, instead of just living this comfortable life? And that is, yeah, this this kind of emotion that I think... We're not always aware of because you just, you know, you go to to your job when you're, you're home, you do some sports, you eat your dinner and then you go to bed and it's very comfortable and it's very safe. But it also, safe and comfort also keeps you away from really doing something that you're afraid of, but could bring you a lot in life. So I was... Of course, when I when I took the plane to Singapore, it wasn't just like, la, 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 I go to Singapore. Well, of course, I was afraid. Of course, there are so many things that, that are in your head, you know. Uh, will, will I have fun? Will I meet cool people? Will I be lonely and sad every day? I don't know. But I had I needed this kind of push to think, okay, at this moment, I don't like my life. I'll just give something else a try and fly to Singapore. Well, tell us about the first week out there, as you began to settle in, what were some of the things that were happening? Anything? Because a lot of times it feels like preparing for these kinds of trips or early on is an adventure in itself. There's so many times we hear from adventures where half their stories come from before the trip even happened, getting ready or in the first few days. What was it like getting started on this? Was it different than some of your other experiences in the sense of where you were mentally or how you were feeling about it? I think the the biggest difference for me was that I didn't have a deadline. So usually when I go on a trip, uh, I know it's for three weeks or four weeks or, or several days. And I just didn't have a deadline. I could be on the road for, for five years if I wanted to, or just for five weeks if I if I didn't like it over there. So that was really strange because I had this farewell party and I said to everyone, well, I have no clue when I will see you again, you know, because, yeah, I didn't have a plan. The I'm not really a planner and I really like to improvise. So it feels so good to hear someone say that they're not a planner because everyone I talk to all the time <laughs> is a planner. I'm so glad someone's confident enough to say they're not a planner. Yeah, I really like it that I'm not a planner because I like to improvise. But sometimes during my trip, it was so hard that I'm not a planner <laughs> because you have to apply for visa, for example, or I don't know, go to the bank and then suddenly there's this four days holiday and you don't have any money, whatever. So sometimes it's really... <laughs> sometimes it does bite you in the butt. It definitely does. Yeah, yeah. But what I liked, so all the things I did back home before I left was 
you know, you do your passport and that kind of stuff. I bought a new bike uh, because I wanted to be on the road and I, I like to ride the bike, but I don't really like the maintenance of the bike. I'm, I'm not a technician. I just don't, I didn't want any like stuff on the bike. You know, I can fix the bike, but I don't like it. So I, I bought a, a bit more expensive bike with with the idea that, that it needed less maintenance. And so I could just, you know, join my, my trip. And I bought a Lonely Planet. And that's it. <laughs> and I just flew to Singapore and uh, I stayed there for five days or four days. And just to, you know, get rid of the jet lag and get used to speaking English the entire day and to get used to the to the climate a bit. And then I thought, okay, so where am I, like, where where will I go? And I knew that I chose Singapore because I was once before in Southeast Asia and I thought it was a very comfortable area for a woman alone to travel because you have many touristic areas where you will meet many other tourists, but you also have many places that are yeah, a bit more, well, authentic. I don't really like the word, but more like for the locals. And I thought that's the area I want to explore. But if I feel sick or if I feel homesick or whatever, I can just you know, cycle to Bangkok or another hotspot and go to uh, the bars where all the tourists go and, you know, I'll, I'll meet some other travelers. So I thought it was a really nice mix for me. And I just cycled to China. That was my goal to just have a kind of a direction because I didn't want to wake up every day not knowing where to go. So I thought I'll just go north and then we'll see. I'll, I'll aim for... <laughs> Yeah, one of the largest countries in the world. Just true. Going, hard yeah, to miss. Hard to miss. <laughs> hard to miss going that going from Singapore. So, so what were some of the things happening? Like, tell us about the experience. Any any strange encounters or interesting things at this portion that that really stick out in your mind right now? Well, the first thing that I have to think of is I had this very romantic idea of Malaysia and the rainforest and everything. But as soon as I set foot in Malaysia, the only thing I saw were these um, palm oil plantage. And I cycled for five days in a row. And the only thing I saw were these plantations. Do, do, do I say it right? The, yeah, palm oil plantations. Oh, wow. And I really thought like, my God, you know, I really thought that I would be like in the rainforest. And I, I don't know, I, I had this adventurous idea and don't ask me why because I, I hardly planned anything so I didn't really look into the countries but I, I just had this idea in my mind of Malaysia so that was I think on the second day that I really thought okay I, I do have to plan a bit more so I don't cycle on the on the boring roads or the or the ugly roads yeah that was a good learning curve again for me as I as I was learning through the years also during this trip I was learning a lot I think that's one of the first things I have to to think of and also I don't know about you with camping or wild camping in the Netherlands it's forbidden to do wild camping but I thought if I want to be on the road for a long time I cannot pay a hotel you know every night but I thought oh I was a bit scared to to go camping, to start the wild camping, you know, to, to do it for the first time or the second time. And I was just scared that people would see me come up to me, you know, that 
the like people I don't want to meet, you know, come to my tent in the night. So that that was really hard for me to experience the first two nights that I tried it. And then I thought, you know, Southeast Asia is cheap and it's it's crowded. So uh, I'll just stick to the hotels here. And then later on during my trip where I really need to go wild camping, I'll just give it another try. When I crossed the border from Laos into China, I met three other cyclists. And with two of them, I cycled for three weeks. And during the three weeks, we only stayed in a hotel for two nights. And all the other nights we did wild camping. And I just learned from them, uh, how do I pick my spot? Do I make a fire or not? Uh, how do I well, kind of know which people I can trust? And I don't know for men, you know, cycling solo or traveling solo, how it feels. But for me as a woman, sometimes I was just fucking scared. I'm sorry for using these words, but... Yeah, you just have to look out for yourself. And that's, that's of course, the risk that we that we talked about before, you know, about cycling in Africa. That's, of course, cycling solo as a woman, wherever you are in the world, there's this, this risk. And when I left, I, I knew about the risk, but now I felt the risk. And that's something different for me. Once you got to China, then, then what? Like, I mean, you could go across China, you could go, you know, north, you could go east, oh, I mean, you know, to the ocean, or you could go west all the way home. What, what, how did you choose from there? Well, I kind of had to choose where in China, how, how, like where I wanted to go in China, because I only got a visa for 30 days. I could extend it once, so I got 60 days in total, and China is way too big to cycle in 60 days. And of course, I heard about the stans like Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, but I, I just didn't have any idea how it would look. And I thought, you know, I'll just go there and and just see for myself. So my plan was to first cycle a bit in the south of China, close to the border with uh, Laos, to so Sichuan and Yunnan area. And there I had to extend my visa and then I took a train to Xinjiang. It's the area which is quite like known now uh, because of the Uyghurs that live there. I don't know if you heard about it, but it's a, it's a people that is uh, oppressed. And so in this Xinjiang area, there are many police uh, stations and many police driving around. And for me as a, as a cyclist, I knew it would be a very interesting area to experience because in Sichuan and Yunnan I had all the freedom and people invited me home for food and I could just go wild camping and yeah do whatever I wanted and I knew Xinjiang because there's so many police they they follow you and they just want to know where did you come from where are you going wow. did you take pictures and everything and I'm it wasn't the best cycling experience like if you want to cycle, but it was such an interesting experience because of the the society over there. Even people didn't invite me home, uh, didn't invite me over for food or for a place to sleep because they thought they were scared that the police would come and knock on their door because they talked to me as a tourist. Jeez. So that was a very strange, yeah, very strange experience. Uh, I cycled there about three weeks. And I was very glad that I could, uh, could yeah, cross the border with uh, Kazakhstan. 
and have this freedom back again as a as a traveler, as a cyclist. Wow. Yeah. And so from uh, from Kazakhstan, I, I thought I was in Kazakhstan. I think I was on the road for about eight or nine months. But then I thought, okay, I still like to travel and I don't want to quit now. But I'm not a nomad or a, or something, so someone who wanders across the world uh, forever. So I thought, you know, I'll just be home for Christmas. <laughs> and I just had uh, about seven more months before it was Christmas. So I thought, okay, now I'll just plan my, my route back home to Europe. I mean, did you make it home by Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, there, there are people who cycle really fast. I, I made many, um, how do you say, many loops and many detours. And uh, I stayed as a volunteer in Kyrgyzstan for several days and in Greece. And yeah, I really took my time. So yeah, I, I could have been there in, uh, I think, about three months, but I took seven. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, tell us about some of those detours. What were some of the things that you decided to stop and do? And how did you decide what to stop and do? Because there's, I mean, got to be endless opportunities to take detours and to say, hey, I'm going to be here for a while and do something interesting. I find that a lot of you you come across so many interesting people because people are interested in talking to you uh, that you, you get a lot of opportunities on a bike tour of all kinds of random things, either being invited to help on a farm or to, I don't know, meet other cyclists and go with them for a little while. What were some of those things that you accepted and, and turned down? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Well, about turning down, I cycled in, in China for three weeks with a Swiss couple and we met up again in uh, Kyrgyzstan, which was really cool because, yeah, we we really became friends and it was so relaxed cycling together and very comfortable for me too because after being alone for such a long time, when you're with the three of you, you also share responsibilities among the three of you. So. It wasn't always me who had to think about the amount of water we were carrying or where are we going to sleep or whatever. So for me, it was really relaxed cycling together. But they decided to cycle the Pamir Mountains in Tajikistan. That's about like plus 4,000 meters in altitude. And since I also cycled in China on, on such altitude, over there in China, it was I, I felt it was really tough for me to do. So every few hundred meters, after cycling a few hundred meters, I just had to stop and catch my breath again. And I really thought it was just too much for me to do. And so when they said they were going to ride the Pamir, I decided to to not follow them and to cross Uzbekistan uh, instead. And now back home, sometimes I really feel like, oh, should, should I have done the Pamir Mountains? Because you hear from so many cyclists that I think, oh, maybe maybe I was able to do it, you know. But yeah. Yeah. So some so I sometimes you turn opportunities down because well, for example, I I I already told them my father and a friend, they joined me cycling. So I had like three times during my trip, I had a deadline to be somewhere on a certain moment. So sometimes time or visa time just makes you yeah, make choices. 
But for example, since I didn't have a deadline, I was in um, when I was still in Malaysia, I was asked to be in a TV program for a month. And uh, I had to play. For a month? Yeah, for a month. <laughs> I was a I was a tourist in a TV show covering Malaysia, and so for this TV show we we traveled across the country and we went to resorts and touristic hotspots and 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 whatever and and eat local food and and since I had no deadline I could just do whatever I wanted to do, and so I I was on Malay television. <laughs> what? what? How, how did that come about? And and was that paid? Well, everything we did was paid for, and uh, well, I, I, no, I didn't really earn any but money. You got to travel around for for free, basically, and, and see the rest of the country. Yeah, and we did some diving, you know, and all things that I, I always wanted to do but didn't have any money for. <laughs> so now they paid me, and even broadcasted it. No, but the the funny thing was, I was in the Cameron Islands. And I was just hiking there for, for a day or two days. And on a certain moment, it, it started to, to rain, like rain heavily. And I thought, ah, oh, I don't want, I don't want to walk. You know, I'll just catch a ride back to the, to the, the city. And so I just went to the road and uh, the first car stops and there were four men in there. And I said, hey, you go in that place? Yeah, yeah, we're going there. Just get in. And they uh, they talked Malay and I, I didn't understand. And after a few minutes discussing something among each other, one of them uh, said in English, like, uh, are you a tourist? And I thought, yeah, of course I'm a tourist. <laughs> but okay. And then, yeah, yeah. Do you want to be in a TV show? And I remember saying, this is really the f- the worst pickup line I ever heard. <laughs> because, of course, I didn't believe that. But, yeah, they were really still looking for tourists. So we discussed it through a bit. And then I, uh, the next day, I cycled to Kuala Lumpur in, in, a, in about a week. And, uh, yeah, a week after we met, we started this television program. <laughs> How did it go? Well, it was broadcasted just a few months ago. And yeah, to be honest, and uh, yeah, I have to say that I'm really not a good uh, TV uh, host, but okay, <laughs> it was a fun experience. It was a fun experience. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that happens when you put yourself out there. And yeah, it didn't lead to a new career, for instance, but what a cool experience. <laughs> what a random thing to be a part of. And it's nothing you could ever plan for. So even if you were a planner, you can't, exp- you, you just can't, you don't, you aren't going to know the people you meet, the opportunities that come across. And, and I will say this, the most random things happen in a good way. And that's a perfect example of one of those very random things that, that happens when you're just out there biking. So unbelievable. True. So as you made your way back home for Christmas in some of these places that feel so far from home, I'm sure, like China compared to the Netherlands and Malaysia and wherever, whenever you decided to get home for Christmas, did it feel like a just insurmountable distance or did you feel confident about being able to get there on time? Before I went on this trip, I thought about cycling home from Singapore, but then I really thought the distance is like, it's too far, like 20,000 kilometers. No, like I, I I could just never get this idea in my head. But when I was already in China and when I 
when I look back uh, on the six months that I traveled and I thought I had so much fun and, you know, covering a, a big distance goes by covering a small distance every day. And I thought, yeah, I have the time, you know, and I, yeah, I, so so when I made the decision in, in Kazakhstan, I knew that I was able to cycle it. Also because I gave myself still a lot of time. I wasn't in a hurry and I, I, I had many rest days and many days that I was just like playing a, a normal tourist in, in Cappadocia and Turkey, for example. So for me, cycling, uh, the distance, covering the distance wasn't hard. But for me, it was the hardest part, the thing of getting back in the normal life and going from being a traveler and and meeting meeting new people every day and seeing new things every day to slowly cycle back into Europe. Of course, Italy is is not the same as the Netherlands, but there are many things that, that look alike or many things in how people are and what people do. They really look alike how my life would be in the Netherlands. And then I thought, yeah, am, am I ready, you know, to go back into society? And of course, I I already lived in the Netherlands for 28 years. And of course, I knew how the Netherlands would be and how it would be back there. But I've had so many experiences and I've, I've had so many cool, but also very harsh uh, things that I've seen. How could I just, you know, knock on the door of my parents and say, Merry Christmas, I'm back home and, and just live on like nothing happened that that was for me that transition that was harder for me than than thinking about can i am i able to cover this distance in these months it's it's more like the yeah the mental transition what often happens is a pretty severe depression after something like this get back home exactly the reasons you said. You go from every moment of every day being something brand new, every kilometer, every face, everything is newness, newness, newness to a routine and something a little more familiar every day. And and also not being able to relate to anybody back home where no one really understands what you did. Time went by so much faster for them because it's, you know, relatively the same stuff happening every day. For you, time felt, I'm sure, double or triple the time you were out there. Uh, right now, like a year seems to go by so quickly. On a bike or on, out hiking, a year feels like it's five. So it's so hard to relate to anybody, especially if you're not in a home that that has people who've done it before. So I'm sure I'm sure it was very hard, very hard to transition back. What did you find helpful in that transition? Uh, writing a book. Because every day I had so many experiences and memories in my head. And I tried to to share it with people. But most of the people don't even know. And, and like, not I don't blame them. But most people don't even know how it feels to to not shower for five days. Or... To, for example, be the only woman in a shop or the only woman you see during a day is myself, you know, that, that I didn't see any women because they they had to sit in their homes. And I was the one uh, having all the freedom to cycle and to meet new people every day. But it's just because it's different culture and that women weren't allowed to 
leave their house, you know? And and I was I was there. And and all these experiences I could I I was not able to share with with my friends or with my family. And for me it was writing my book. It really made me how do you say come at ease a bit or or that I that I was able to to let some of these thoughts just go and and just come a bit yeah become calm in my head and so I wrote a book in Dutch <laughs> but I wrote it not just like on this day I went from this city to this to that city but it's it's a mix of things I experienced on the bike uh, but also in my head so also the transition in my head from just experiencing new things every day to the transition coming back home and like do I already know what I want to do back home or not and, and etc and I wrote it in about five months and that made me really yeah kind of like finish this chapter and finish this trip altogether because when you're home and you park your your bicycle that's not the end of your trip your trip is still there in your in your head do you think it took COVID to write your book? We, I know we keep talking about stuff like that, but you know, sometimes writing the book is, is a lot harder than the adventure itself. It's, it's drudgery. Yeah. And, and with some uh, experiences, I could just like close my eyes and, uh, and I just I still knew exactly how the place looked or, or how I felt at that moment. And other moments, other chapters were pretty hard to remember and to write down. Uh, during my trip, I wrote a diary. And of course, I made many, um, many pictures. So, but yeah, thanks to COVID, you know, we had to stay home. <laughs> so there, there was no places you could go except just like sit behind your laptop and just write your story. Any other advice for people who who may be thinking of doing something like this? Maybe not as big or maybe bigger, you know, as, as far as the lessons you've learned and what you wrote your book about. Yeah, I, I think my advice would be don't plan too big of an adventure and just don't plan too much. <laughs> just make sure that you that you that you have the basics. You know, you have your tent, you have your sleeping bag, you have your gear, and just kind of set a direction. You know, my direction was China, but whether I would cross Vietnam or not, I didn't know. I just thought I'll just see whenever I'm I'm close there in the area and then I was open for all the chances given because I had everything I needed of course if you wanted to go on a smaller trip or or even your first trip just make sure that you that you talk to someone who has a bit of experience in in camping for example and a bit in cycling but you don't have to buy the the most expensive stuff to start you can just start with an overnighter in the, the backyard of of uh, of your friends you know and just experiences and and just start, just just start slowly. And then at a certain moment, you feel like, okay, but now I'm ready to go for a bigger adventure. And you'll feel it when you're ready. Last question, because I, I meant to ask this, is what part of the world, I know this is probably hard to answer, what part of the world really surprised you as either beautiful or maybe not what you thought or just maybe you weren't expecting much and it was amazing? Oof. I know there are probably many, so if one comes to mind. Yeah, there are many, but I would definitely re uh, recommend go to Sichuan area in China. Uh, I was on the Tibetan Plateau, so it's not the not the region at Tibet, but the, the plateau, geological area, which is high mountains. And there was just nothing. 
and in a way there was so much because it's on such a high altitude there doesn't uh, there are not many crops growing for example so people live there from yaks the the kind of cows so they have yak butter and yak milk and yak meat and <laughs> they eat everything from the yak the the houses are so beautiful and because you're you're in the mountains whenever you have a problem people are so generous in helping you because they know there's not much here and there there are not many villages and everything and that yeah people were very generous and very kind to me and the area is just really beautiful yeah i would definitely want to go back there well doreen thank you so much for joining us where can folks find your book it's only in dutch so i would say on the dutch website book website just check out my name and you'll find it Great. Well, I, I will plug that Dutch website. And we do we do have a decent amount of uh, Dutch listeners, so folks can read both. But, well, thank you so much for joining us and telling us just, gosh, a little bit about this experience. What an amazing adventure. So jealous of the ability. It just, I don't know. It's, it's a perfect trip I would love to do. So, yeah, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. It was great talking about it with you. First of all, Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>